Magna Carta is something that in the English-speaking world we have all heard of. We may or may not have any idea what it is. And I don't want to go into a detailed discourse of what it really is or does. It isn't quite what the legend has it. It was an agreement between King John and his tenants-in-chief in England, tenants-in-chief known as barons at that date. The idea of an agreement was developed by Archbishop Stephen Langton, Archbishop of Canterbury, who returned to England in 1213 after the interdict. The terms of Magna Carta were negotiated with King John at Windsor in June 1215 after a year or more of preliminary discussions. And the first Magna Carta is dated at Runnymede, an island in the Thames not far from Windsor, on the 15th of June 1215. It represents concessions made by King John to the tenants-in-chief, the barons, who had been hard-pressed by the king over the preceding years. The concept of concessions or the kind of things agreed in it is not new. Magna Carta develops from coronation promises, and coronation promises had existed in Anglo-Saxon England, um, the last um, king of the old West Saxon line, Edward the Confessor, promised in 1042 that he would adopt the laws of King Knut that had prevailed over the preceding 25 years. King Henry I in 1100 was the first king, so far as we know, to embed detailed promises in a coronation charter. The coronation charters of Henry I from 1100, of King Stephen from 1135, and King Henry II from 1154 were copied out and translated into French as part of the negotiations that result in Magna Carta in 1215. But Magna Carta should not be thought of as a one-off or as a single thing there is no master copy. King John signed nothing at, Magna nothing at Runnymede, but over the days that followed, somewhere around 40 engrossments of Magna Carta were drawn up and sealed with King John's great seal, one for each county in England, and there were at that date something like 36 counties. I use the word engrossment as a technical term. It's something written up in a big hand on a single sheet of parchment and authenticated with the king's seal. And it gets away from the difficulty of using the word copy. We may be happy to say a copy of a book. All copies of a book are the same. But when dealing with charters, an original is the form sealed, authenticated, issued, and carrying legal validity. Copies may be made of that original, but copies don't have legal validity. In the case of Magna Carta in 1215, 
what every county got was legally an original, sealed with the great seal. But the idea of multiple originals is quite a hard one to absorb. And after 1215, Magna Carta was reissued on a number of occasions. And on each of those occasions, again, a significant number, minimum of 35, and by the end of the 13th century, perhaps over 100 originals were sealed and sent out around the country. From 1215, four engrossments survive, one in Lincoln Cathedral, one in Salisbury Cathedral, and there are now two in the British Library. One of them, we don't know where it came from. The other was found Dover Castle in the 17th century and may have been sent to the county of Kent, though Dover Castle is an unexpected place for it to end up. It may have been sent to the sink ports or perhaps to Dover. That's a puzzle that there's no answer to. Following King John's death in 1216, the charter was reissued with variations. In November 1216, November 1217, when it gained a twin, the Charter of the Forest, and then both were reissued in their final form in 1225. Subsequent reissues or reaffirmations without a text of the charters follow in 1237, 1246, 1265, 1297, and 1300. From these multiple reissues, a total of 17 engrossments survive. I've mentioned the four from 1215. There's one only from 1216, issued a month after King John's death and the succession of his nine-year-old son, Henry III. There are four of 1217, and three are in the display, display case here. And then we have to go to 1297 for more surviving engrossments. The occasion for today's exhibition is the sale of an original from 1297 at Sotheby's in New York a week today. The original that is being sold is the engrossment sent to the Shah Court of Buckinghamshire in 1297. Now, in that year, for the first time, these multiple engrossments were marked on the bottom where the parchment is folded up to stiffen it to take the seal. They were marked on that fold with the name of the county to which they were sent. Buckingham, Surrey, and London survive from county copies. In 1297, copies were also sent to boroughs, and Faversham in Kent has retained its copy. Going to boroughs means that by that date, there may have been 100 or so produced. And you can do the arithmetic to see that by the end of the 13th century, the number of engrossments that had been sent out was in hundreds. Of those hundreds, 17 survive and four are here in the Bodleian. Where they came from, for anything earlier than 1297, 
has to be inferred from how they reached us. The route of transmission is the only clue we have to the county archive from which they came. Documents sent to the Shire Court were often disposed of very quickly, usually by being given to the person whom they most concerned. Those that had to be kept were kept in a county archive not retained by the sheriff, but deposited in a convenient place. For county towns, that usually means in the cathedral. And that's why there are engrossments of Magna Carta surviving from Lincoln Cathedral, from Salisbury Cathedral, for 1216 from Durham Cathedral, from 1217 Hereford Cathedral, and there they remain. Copies in the Bodleian have to have come down to us by some route, and I've investigated the mechanisms for publication, preservation, and transmission of these documents, not only for Magna Cartas of the 13th century, but also for coronation charters of the 12th century. The pattern is in preference the cathedral, but in many counties there is no cathedral. But the county town usually had a Benedictine abbey, and the Benedictine abbey served as the repository for the county archive. Now, what we have here in the case are a very fine engrossment of 1217 from Gloucester Abbey. It's one of a group of documents that came to the Bodleian from a man called Richard Fernie, who, when he died, in 1753, was Archdeacon of Surrey. But he was born in Gloucester. He was a collector of Gloucester antiquities. And from the age of 25 to 30, he was schoolmaster at Gloucester Abbey. If you know the Abbey at Gloucester, the old schoolroom is now in use as the library and archive reading room. It's a very long room um, above the um, east range of the cloister. Well, that's where Fernie would have taught and presumably, we hope with the permission of the dean and chapter, he removed a number of charters from Gloucester, including a 1217 Magna Carta. The other two of 1217 here came to us from Osney Abbey. Osney started off as a little priory at the west side of Oxford, but around the end of King Stephen's reign or the beginning of Henry II's, the little priory of Osney managed to swallow the very small but extremely rich chapel of St. George in Oxford Castle, and Osney immediately turned into Osney Abbey. When the religious houses were dissolved by Henry VIII in 1539, Osney Abbey's property was handed over to Christ Church here. And the archive of Osney was assimilated into the archive of the college. But in 1667, the authorities in Christ Church went through their records and separated those that related to property that they still owned from those that didn't relate to property still owned by the college. Magna Carta, of course, didn't relate to property at all, and so it was among, as it were, the goats that the college had no longer any use for. 
and the Oxford antiquary and diarist Anthony Wood was allowed to take those away. When he died, they came to the Bodleian. Now, Oxfordshire appears to have decided that it wanted two copies of Magna Carta in 1217. We have two here, and on the back, on the dorse, as we would call it, there is a contemporary note that simply says duplicatur. It is issued in duplicate. When you see them in the case, the first document on the left is the Gloucestershire Magna Carta of 1217. The second is from Osney, and its layout, its appearance, is very like that of the Gloucestershire one, though they're in different hands. The third, also from Osney, is very different in appearance. The handwriting is more compressed. The shape of the parchment is, as we would say now, landscape rather than portrait. And the handwriting is of a different character. I think that one that you'll see third is the secondary copy rather than the primary copy. I mentioned earlier that 1217 was agreed in November 1217, just over a year after King John died. The, kings, uh, the king at the time, Henry III, had just passed his 10th birthday. And as a child, he had no great seal. So the second issue of Magna Carta, the third issue of Magna Carta, and the first issue of the Charter of the Forest do not bear any royal seal. Instead, the copies you see here have the seals of those in charge of the realm while the king was a child. Two small seals rather than one large one. The green one is the seal of William Marshall, Earl of Pembroke, keeper of the realm, and often referred to as Earl Marshall. The title survives today. The Duke of Norfolk is Earl Marshall of England, Premier Peer and Premier Earl. Earl Marshall is, I think, the longest continuous title in, the, um, in what became the English aristocracy. The other seal, there's a white replica on the Gloucester one, and on the third, the um, Osney duplicate, there's a, an original seal. It's a curious oval shape. Is the seal of Gualo Bicchieri, an Italian resident in England at the time, who was the cardinal legate sent by the Pope to England. So these two uh, men authenticate the reissues of 1216 and 1217 because the king was still a child. The 1225 was also uh, authenticated by the Earl Marshal, but the copy um, that we have here has no seal. When you come to see them, you know, forget the notion that Magna Carta must have existed as some kind of master copy. Sotheby's, who are um, selling this, clearly had that notion, and they refer in the catalogue in some surprise to the fact that there is not even a copy kept in the royal archives. That's a misconception in New York. 
there would never have been a copy in the royal archives as they now are at Windsor. There might have been a copy kept for government purposes that would now be in the public record office. If so, it has gone. The only copy of an engrossment in the public record office is of 1297, and it seems to have come through the Duchy of Lancaster as its archival transmission. But unlike others from that year, it has no uh, destination written on the fold. Rather than thinking of Magna Carta that exists as some a perfect master specimen in royal or national archives, you should think of it as something that was replicated multiple copies at a time under the seal and sent out for publication in the counties of England. It would be read twice a year at the general meeting, the full meeting of the county court. Because of the the importance of the negotiations of 1215 and the king's death little more than a year thereafter. The renegotiation in 1216 and 1217, and again the final negotiation in 1225, identified this as a document of peculiar status. And its reputation has more to do with the status it acquired in the course of the 13th century than the importance to any of us of the words it contains. Because of that growing importance though, it was a matter of political convenience to be able at intervals to say, for the king to say, that he reaffirms the charters. And in 1237, uh, we actually have an engrossment of the order of Henry III in the library from Gloucester with the seal of Henry III. Um, that order for the publication of the charter refers to it as Magna Carta, the Great Charter. And that order for its republication has come to be known as the Small Charter, Parva Carta. This re reissuing at intervals was not um, in itself necessary, it was an expedient. But the retention of copies in the counties to be read was necessary, and sometimes writs are sent out ordering the reading of the charters without their being recopied. The county, the sheriff, was expected to be able to find the charter in its archive. So when the full county court of Oxfordshire met in the 12 teens, the late 12 teens and early 1220s, we can imagine that one or other of the second and third documents here was brought from Osney Abbey up to Oxford Castle. The Shire Court met at that date in the late 12th century Shire Hall, Bailey of the Castle, abandoned in 1577 and demolished in 1785. From 1225, a different engrossment may have made that journey. Whether these gradually became worn out or simply ceased to be of interest after 1300, we don't know. But the copies that must have existed in some numbers around the country were eroded to the 17 that now survive. But their existence in multiples should not be thought of as in any way diminishing their interest. They represent 
the enduring importance of Magna Carta and the need for its republication, and they represent the mechanism by which the king communicated with the realm through the counties, which had been fundamental to the way England worked in the Anglo-Saxon period, in the Norman period, and continuing in the Angevin and Plantagenet periods. What brought an end to this reissuing, recopying, and dissemination of Magna Carta in the counties was the rise of Parliament. From 1301, the Great Charter was published by being read at a session of Parliament instead of being read at a county court. That's a fundamental change in the, the way government was perceived in England, and these attest to the old way.